father's house, there are many mansions. And if it were not so, he would have told us. And when he goes, he's going to prepare a place for us. And if he prepares a place for us, he's going to come again so that we can be with the father. That's awesome. Well, if you are a child between the first grade and sixth grade, you can be dismissed now. Uh, we're going to get into the sermon. So children, uh, you all can be dismissed. And there goes half of the room. It's kind of discouraging, but also encouraging at the same time. So that's awesome. Well, we're going to be in Hosea chapter 8 this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and find the book of Hosea. Kind of a tough one to find. So if you need to use uh, the table of contents, go for it. That's fine. Uh, it gets, it's kind of tough. I, I, uh, I had a hard time finding it before, too. Uh, not, like, not like before, like a long time ago. Before, as in like right before I came up here to preach. So if you need to use the table of contents, that's fine. Hosea chapter 8. Uh, fall is among us. The weather's starting to get a little bit cooler. How, many's, how, many, how many are happy about that? How many are happy about the cooler weather? Okay, good. How many are not happy about the cooler weather? Okay, most of you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I, I get happy when it starts to get colder again. I'm, I'm from Maryland originally, and so we, we don't get as cold as it does here, but, but it does get pretty cold uh, there. So I, I enjoy the fall weather. I, I enjoy uh, fall season. And it's a fun time because it's kind of the beginning of the holiday season, right? We start kind of with Halloween and then we go to Thanksgiving and then we have uh, Christmas and then New Year's. It's just a fun time of the year. You know what I mean? It's it's fun. Uh, the cold isn't always that fun, but but the things that happen, the holidays are fun. And I don't know how many of you in here necessarily celebrate Halloween, whether you do or don't. In my, in my house, when I was younger, we did. We, we celebrate. We always went out trick-or-treating. It was honestly just a, an excuse to get free candy, which even as an adult now, I'm still down with. Okay, I'm still always down for free candy. Um, but but uh, and when I was younger, I, I would go out trick-or-treating. And I remember the first year I didn't, though. I didn't go out trick-or-treating. I was about 15 years old, and I had decided, as the extremely mature 15-year-old that I was, that I was too old for this trick-or-treating stuff, right? Like, I'm 15 years old. I don't, I don't need to go out trick-or-treating anymore. That's for kids. I am 15 years old. I'm basically an adult when I'm 15. So, so I, you know, I'm mature. So this year, I'm going to stay at home with my mom, and I'm going to hand out candy. So, so I decided that's what I was going to do. I'll stay at home with my mom. That's what my mom always did. My dad would always take us out. My mom would stay at home. She would give out candy. And so that's what I did this year. I stayed at home with my mom, but I decided I wasn't just going to give out candy because I'm 15 and uh, 15 year olds are insane. Um, but no, I'm just kidding. You're not. If you're 15 here, you're not crazy. But I stayed home with my mom and I decided I was going to do something more than just hand out candy. So I went to the store and I bought a mask and, and I went home and it was Halloween night. I went outside and I put on a hoodie and I put on some jeans and I put on the mask right that I had bought from Walmart. And I laid on my driveway acting like I was a decoration. Um, it's a very good way to get punched, by the way, okay? I'm just warning you. So I laid on the driveway like I was a decoration. My mom sat on the driveway next to me. And my mom wasn't crazy about the idea. She didn't love it, but she agreed to it on one condition. She said, Nicholas, if, you, if somebody walks up and I say, do not scare them, then you do not scare them, okay? Do you understand me? I was like, yes, ma'am. I promise I won't. Every time a 15-year-old says I promise, they're not going to do what you say. But, um, but so I said, I said, I laid down and I acted like I was a decoration and I was having the time of my life, like, which probably says something about me, but I was, I was laying on the driveway. Every time somebody would come up to get candy, I would jump up, I would scare them and they would scream and they would laugh and, and it was fun, but it was getting toward the end of the night and I, I was, I knew I was running out of time and uh, a group of people began to come up to our house. And I remember there was a little boy. He couldn't have been more than five years old. I mean, you know, just a little, little guy comes walking up the driveway and my mom <laughs> my mom looked at me and said don't you dare 
And so he's walking up the driveway, and he, as a decoration, okay, I'm just laying there. I haven't done anything yet. And as he's walking up, he's, like, giving me the side eye, like, kind of trying to, like, stay away from me and, like, looking me up and down. trying to, And his mom's, like, behind him just laughing. She's dying hysterical. So I knew the mom was cool. And my mom said, don't do it. And I'm 15. So I did it. <laughs> so so I, I laid there. And as after he got candy, he begins to turn around and walk away. And all I did, all I did was just sit up and go, ah! And this kid, I have never seen a five-year-old run so fast in my life. The kid ran to the end of the street, and I think, he, I don't know if they found him yet. Like, he, he's, he was gone. I mean, his Buzz, Lee, his Buzz Lightyear costume, like, probably could have taken flight if he was running fast. Like, he was, he was gone, right? He was terrified. You say, why do you start there? I start there because when people wear masks, when people pretend to be something that they're not, those around them tend to run. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a group of people who were pretending to be something that they weren't. And this is the same thing is true in the church today. We have so many church members who, who are pretending to be something that they're not. They, they come to church on Sunday morning and, and they know all the Christian lingo and then, and then they leave and Monday morning they, they act the same as they did if they, if they weren't saved. And they use the same language that their co-workers use and they treat their wife just like everybody else does and they act toward their kids just like the rest of the world does. But on Sunday morning, oh, they look good. Like they have the tie on. They come in and, and they know all the lingo. But they're wearing a mask. And I want to tell you, it's, it's not good for you it's not good for the church, and it's not good for the world, because the world tends to run away from people who wear masks. So we're going to be in Hosea chapter 8 this morning. We're going to look at a group of people who were doing exactly that, but I want to tell you a little bit of what's going on in the book of Hosea before we start reading. The book of Hosea is kind of a, a weird book. The, the first part of the book, God comes to his prophet, Hosea, and he, he, he tells him to go and marry a woman, and he's up front with them right off the bat. He says, this woman's going to be unfaithful with you. She, she's going to sleep around. She's not going to just be with you for the rest of her life. She's going to break the covenant that you have made with her. And Hosea, you know, weird command, right? But Hosea, he goes and he does it. He marries a woman named Gomer. And, and Gomer, she's a prostitute. And so she, she's married to him. They have three children. And then she goes out and she begins to sleep around with other men. And God tells Hosea, because during this time, this is like a capital punishment offense. If you were to sleep with someone who wasn't your husband, you, you were going to be killed for it. Um, but God says, I don't want you to take her to court. I don't want you to kill her. I, I want you to pursue her. Completely contradictory to everything that, that was true in that day. Like, people did not do this. And Hosea, she goes out. She, she, she is abused. She is used. Uh, by all kinds of different people. And, and so she, he finds her and, and she's, she's, she's like, looks like trash. I mean, she's laid out on, on the concrete and he goes over and he picks her up. He brings her home. And for the rest of the book, God uses that as a picture of his love toward Israel. And he says, look, you've broken my covenant. You've broken the love relationship that we were supposed to have. I gave you a set of command, commands. You, you've disobeyed them. You've gone away from me. You, you've hired lovers is, is the word that Hosea uses. And, and, and yet God is still pursuing Israel. And I want to start there by, by saying that God, no matter what you've done, no matter what you are doing, or no matter will, what you will do, he will always pursue you for the rest of your life. 
It doesn't matter how, how down and out you are. It doesn't matter what kind of sin you have done or are doing. He is constantly pursuing you because that's the kind of God that he is. And, and that's what God is doing to Israel in this book. But then we get to later in the book, chapter 8, which is where we're going to read today. And God begins to talk about their sin. He begins to talk about the things that they've, they've been doing and the judgment that they're going to receive because of it. Because even though God loves us in our sin, there's still consequences to our sin. And so he talks about the kind of consequences that Israel is going to face because of the sin that they're doing. And a lot of times when I think of Israel during these times, I think of like this post-apocalyptic, like everything's on fire, people are running around like crazy, like, it, like, 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 like what you see in movies, right? That's kind of what I picture. But the way God describes Israel is quite different. I want you to see uh, exactly what, their sin is. And so we're going to start reading in verse number, uh, verse number 11. Because Ephraim, that's Israel, hath made many altars to sin. Altars shall be unto him to sin. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. Now listen to this verse. They sacrifice flesh for my offer, for mine offering and eat. But the Lord accepted them not. And they're still religious. They're still going to church. They're still putting on the clothes that they're supposed to on Sunday morning, on, on Shabbat, on, on Sabbath. They're doing what they're supposed to do, but the rest of the week they're living how they want to. And they think they're good. They think they're okay. They think they're, they're doing enough. But God says, I won't accept it. And so in Hosea 8 today, what we're going to learn is the worship of a hypocrite. What does it look like? What does someone who is a hypocrite look like? How do they live? What, what does it look like to be a hypocrite? And we're going to start in verse number 11. And the first uh, step that I would say to, to become a hypocrite is hypocrites worship who they want to worship. Look at verse 11. He says, Because Ephraim hath made altars to sin, altars shall be unto him to sin. And so there's two problems with this verse, really. There's two problems. The first problem is God was very specific about how and where they were supposed to put altars in the Old Testament. They weren't supposed to just go around and put altars everywhere they wanted to. He was very specific about how they were to build altars. He, he told them in Deuteronomy uh, 12, he says, you don't build an altar unless I tell you to build an altar. Okay, You're not to go around and build an altar everywhere you want to, but when I tell you you can build an altar, that's when you can build an altar. But, but this verse says they're going around, they're, they're building altars like we build Casey's around here, right? Like there's one on every corner. I mean, there's, they're everywhere. They're just building altar after altar after altar. But that wasn't the only problem. Because this verse, it says that they build altars to sin. So, so they were going to these altars. They were going there, but they weren't worshiping God. They, they were worshiping something else. Earlier in the book, Hosea talks about how the, the people of Israel, the people of Ephraim, had taken the, the, the goods that God had given them, the, the produce that God had given them, the blessings that God had given them, and they began to sacrifice to a God who was called Baal. Now, Baal's a really interesting God, lower, lowercase g God, because he was the God of fertility. 
And so he was the God that would provide things for people. And what people would do is if they wanted more corn, they would go to God and they would sacrifice corn to Baal. If someone wanted more wheat, they would take their wheat, some of their wheat that they've gotten that harvest, and they would take it to Baal, and they would sacrifice that, that wheat to Baal. If they wanted more children, they would take their children to the altars, and, and they would sacrifice their children to Baal so that they could have more children. In other words, they were taking everything and sacrificing it to this God whose name was Baal. They weren't worshiping. They weren't, they weren't praising God at these altars. They had built altars to sin. And they were worshiping a God that was taking everything from them. And today we, we don't worship that way, right? Like we, we don't take our firstborn child and sacrifice it to some God. If we do, you'll probably end up on Dateline somewhere. Like that, that's messed up stuff, right? We don't worship that way but we do still worship somewhere. And every single one of us are worshiping something. If you Google the word worship, the definition is this. It's the feeling or expression of reverence or and adoration for a deity. So during that time, they were expressing their adoration and, 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 and their, their love toward this God whose name was Baal by sacrificing everything to him. So in order for us to figure out what we worship or who we worship, we have to ask ourselves a question. Who are you willing to sacrifice everything to please? That's what they were doing. They were sacrificing everything they had to be able to please uh, this, this deity. And so we ask ourselves, who is it that you would sacrifice everything in order to make them happy? And for most of us, it's the person that we see in the mirror every single morning. That's who we worship. Because it doesn't matter what it is or what we have to do to be able to get it. We want to do anything in order to make us happy. We sacrifice going to church and meeting God's people so that we could make more money. We sacrifice time and God's word in the morning so that we can get some extra sleep. We sacrifice our relationship with our kids because we enjoy our job too much and we love money too much. We, we sacrifice our relationship with spouse if it means that we can have temporary pleasure with, with something on our phone. Like, like we sacrifice everything in our life in order to please one person, and that person is often us. Who, who are you living to please today? Because for the people in Israel, they were living to please Beth. And for most of us in this morning, including myself, we live our life, we live our days where we worship ourselves. And that's it. We worship who we adore. If we love God, if we adore God, then we'll worship Him. If we love ourselves and if we adore ourselves, then we will worship ourselves. But there's a problem. There's a really big problem, and that problem is that every other God, other than the one true God, Every other God will cost us a lot and their return will be very little. Right? Some people would say that, that if you worship another God, it's going to cost you everything and give you nothing. Well, that's not necessarily true because it's going to give you something. You, you're, you're going to be happier for a little while. You're going to have temporary pleasure. 
you might have a little bit more money in the bank account. You're going to be a little bit more happy for a while. But in the end, it costs you your relationship with your kids. It costs your relationship with your spouse. It costs your, your fellowship that you have with your father in heaven. See, if you worship another God, it's going to cost you a lot. And the return value is going to be very, very little. It's going to cost more than it gives. And the same is true for Israel. They spent years after this in bondage in another country. They didn't even know the language. All because they wore a mask. But not our God. See, our God isn't like that. Our God, the way that he works is he says, hey, do you want to spend forever with me in heaven? You want that? Okay, put your faith in my son, Jesus. Do you want, do you want a purpose to live for? Do you want a reason to live? Then, then put your faith in my son, Jesus. Do you want a community of people around you? You want people around you who care for you and, and who love you? You want that? Okay, then, then, then put your faith in my son, Jesus. There's this thing called the church and you'll be added to it and you'll have a community of people around you who love you. God says, hey, if you want everything that you could ever want, just put your faith in my son, Jesus. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not preaching like prosperity gospel, but I'm saying, that he eventually, he'll give you everything you ever want. By spending eternity with him in heaven, you have a group of people around you who love you. And then God says, worship. See, God doesn't say, worship me, and I'll give you what you want. God says, I've given you everything, and now would you please worship? See, our God works different than every other God. Our flesh, us, our flesh says, hey, give me, give me, give me, and then I'll return a little bit to you. But God says, no, I've given you everything to worship. That's the God that we serve. He works backwards from, from every other God. Trying to please yourself is exhausting. I know from experience. But allowing God to be pleased with you because of Jesus is free. Because every other God says, hey, in order for me to be pleased with you, you have to do something. But God says, in order, you, I can't be pleased with you. You're, you're too evil. You, you've sinned too much, but I still love you. And so I'm going to give you my son, Jesus, so that I can be pleased with you. See, God's not pleased with us because of the stuff we do. He's pleased with us because of Jesus. God doesn't say, give me so I can be pleased with you. He says, here you go so I can But a hypocrite will worship who he wants to worship. But not only that, a hypocrite will listen to whoever they want to listen to. Look at verse number 12. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. So during this time, if you don't really know too much about the Old Testament, they wouldn't have had all of the Bible like we do today, obviously, because they, they wouldn't have had the New Testament for sure, and they wouldn't have had many of the prophets up until this point. So, so the main thing that they would do is they would go back to the law. They would go to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and that was their Bible, right? That, that was what they had. That was the word of God for them. And so that's what they would go to. They would go to the Old Testament law to be able to see what God had for them, what God was saying to them. And so when God says, I've wrote unto you the great things of my law, what God is saying is, I've given you everything you need. 
you, you want to have a successful marriage? Here's what you need to do. You want to have kids that grow up and love me? Here's what you need to do. If you want to, to have a successful household, here's what you need to do. If you want to have a, a good job and a good relationship with your employer, here's what you need to do. If you want to live a life that is filled with, with, with joy and peace, then here's what you need to do. And that's what they would do. They would go back to it. But in this verse, it says, God's like, I've given you everything. Everything you need to know for a life filled with joy and, and, and happiness and a relationship with me, everything that you need to know, I've given it to you. And yet this verse says it was counted as a strange thing. Like it was weird. You ever see something that's so weird, like it's scary? Have you ever seen something like that? If you haven't, go to Walmart. You'll see one um, and not too long. But we don't like things that are weird. But we don't like things that, that are weird because it's not, it's not normal. It's not natural. And so we, we often will run away from things that, that we find strange or that we find weird. And that's exactly what they were doing with God's word. Like, like the law says, only have one wife. And that's weird because everybody in that culture didn't like everybody was marrying whoever they wanted to over and over again. Man, it, only one wife like that's that's weird. Only worship one God. That's not what everybody else does. Like Egypt and and, all, and the Canaanites, they they worship tons of gods. That's not what the culture is doing. That's kind of weird. Man, like, give? Give a tenth of what I have earned to, to the temple? That's, that's really, I earned that money. It's mine. Nobody else is doing that. Culture's not doing that. Why should I do that? This was their attitude. Because culture wasn't doing it, because they had allowed culture to speak into their life, they didn't want to listen to God. Because God's word was countercultural, they decided not to obey it. And I want to tell you, God's word is still countercultural, even to this day. It doesn't line up with culture. See, culture says that a sexual relationship outside of marriage of any kind is, is sin, but culture would say that it's okay. The culture would say that, that sexuality is fluid, but God says it's solid. The culture would say that you could you just love you and be yourself and follow your heart. And God says that your heart is deceitful, that it's desperately wicked. Culture tells us that truth is relative. God, Jesus says, I am the truth. So, so, so God's word is still very, very countercultural. And as a church, when God's word conflicts with our culture, we're to go with God's word. So often we don't. I wonder when you and God get in an argument, who wins? When you disagree with, with what this book says, who, who do you go with? When you want something that that book says is wrong, what do you do? What do you do? Because, because we're supposed to, we, we have a book that was given to us by the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he says, this is how you, you should live if you're a follower of me. But so often we go with what we would. Think about that. We have a book that was given by the creator. And it has become the biggest sold paperweight in the U.S. You say, why do you call it a paperweight? Because nobody reads it. People don't read it. 
And some of us, we might say that we love God's word because we get upset when, when people try to take the Ten Commandments out of church or out, or out of the courtroom. And we get upset when people try to take prayer out of the public schools. And we get upset when, when people try to take Bible out of the public schools. And we, we get upset when people uh, try to take anything scriptural out of our country. And we get upset, which we should, by the way. We should get upset about that. But we get so upset when people attack the Bible politically. But when's the last time you read it? We, we get upset about it, but we don't spend time in it. And so if you're not spending time in it, who are you allowing to speak into your life? Is it your coworkers? Your friends? CNN? Fox? Like, who is it? Because if you're not allowing God to speak into your life, someone is. So a hypocrite worships who they want to worship. They listen to who they want to listen to. And then they hide it all with religious activities. Look at what the verse said. Verse 13. They sacrifice flesh for the sacrifices of mine offerings and eat it. If you were to go back in the day of Hosea and you were to get there on the, on the Sabbath day, on Shabbat, you wouldn't see people running around riots in the street, more than likely. You probably wouldn't see prostitutes everywhere. I mean, you might see one or two, but, but they wouldn't be all over the place like they are throughout the week. You, you wouldn't see people doing drug deals. You, it wouldn't look like Chicago but people would be on their way to the temple. They'd be wearing their best. On their way to, to worship God. They've got their sacrifices with them, and we're going to go sacrifice. All right, kids, everybody, get, get in the wagon. We're going to go. Get on the donkey. Come on, we're going to go sacrifice to God. And so we're going to go to the temple, and we're going to sacrifice our goat, or we're going to sacrifice our dove, and, and we're going we're gonna to worship God today. That, that's what we're going to do. That's what we do. It's Sabbath, so, so we're going to go there. But through the rest of the week, they're worshiping all their other gods. Through the rest of the, like Sabbath, they look really good. But on the rest of the week, they're worshiping whoever they want to worship. And if this doesn't sound like American Christianity, I don't know what it does. Because for centuries, this is what Sunday has looked like. For, for centuries, Sunday looks like, okay, get up in the morning, put, it, put, um, I'll put on my, my suit, my type, whatever you wear to church on. And then I'm going to come downstairs. If you love Jesus, you're going to get a cup of coffee. And then you're going to get in the car. I'm just kidding. Um, you're going to get in the car, okay? Like if you have kids, okay, everybody get in the car. We're going to go to church. Everybody get in the minivan. We're going to drive to church. So we drive to church. We come in. And on the way, we're giving our kids the pep talk, okay? So boys, girl, like son, daughter, you know what not what words do we don't say in church. We don't say those words in church, okay? And we don't say that word in church. We don't say these words. Like you can say those words when you're home, but you don't say them in church, okay? And then and then you come inside and you're making sure like, okay, my kid's got to be on best behavior because I got to make sure that like, nobody thinks we're weird. And we come in and then when the pastor comes up, pastor comes up and says hi to you. Oh, pastor, you know all the Christian lingo, man. How are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed beyond all measure. You know, God is good all the time. God is all the time. God is good. We know all the words to say. And, and, then, and then we come in the service and we listen to a 40-minute service. Maybe we say amen every now and then sometimes. And maybe we take a couple notes and then we get up to leave. And, and on our way out, we're, we're, we're walking out and people, we stay around for a little while because that's what you're supposed to do. And, and we, we, we shake hands with a couple people. And when people ask how we are, we're like, hey, I'm doing great, man. I'm, I'm so good. You know, God's good. And, and try to make sure everybody thinks that you're the best Christian Then Monday morning. Doesn't look too different at first. You wake up, you close, coffee, 
go downstairs, get in the car. But, but this time it's different because you're going to work, you're not going to church. And so on the way to church, the guy cuts you off and, and, and you go through in your mind all the words that you would say to him if you could talk to him. And then you get to work and, and your coworkers, every dirty joke that they make, every time they say something that's a little coarse, you don't want to be weird. And so, so you laugh at it just like they're laughing at it. Maybe you make a couple of jokes to yourself. You go through your work day and, and you come home to a wife that's been taking care of the kids, or maybe you, you, you come home and you're not married, you come home and you spend the rest of your night just kind of doing what you want to do and you watch what you want to watch and you spend time with who you want to spend time with and, and you use the same jokes that, that everybody else does and you watch the same movies, whether it has sexual content in it or not, and, and you, you do all the stuff that you want to do or maybe you come home and you are married and you have a wife and you come home and you're just angry because you've had a long work day and you snap at her and you snap at your kids and if you're, if you're a wife, you snap at your kids and you snap at your husband and you're disrespectful to them and, and, and our life really doesn't look that different than the rest of the world does. And then we wonder. We wonder why, why our teenagers want nothing to do with church anymore. We wonder why teenagers, they graduate from high school and more than half, I'm not making that number up, over half of them will never step foot in a church again. We wonder why so many college students right now want nothing to do with church. We wonder why the leading religion in America, the fastest growing religion in America is atheism. And we scratch our heads and we wonder, man, how could this be? And it's because these teenagers and these college students have seen over and over again, church member after church member, Sunday after Sunday, come into the church and they act one way and they put on the mask and they make sure everything looks good. And then when they come home, they live an entirely different life. And teenagers, and college students and the rest of the world are tired of watching people play church. They're tired of it. God's tired. I'm out of breath, sorry. God says later in this verse he says I won't accept it because it's not true worship God doesn't want your worship if he doesn't have your heart if he doesn't have your heart your worship's not Jesus says he's talking to a woman at the well in John 4 and he says God is a spirit they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So the truth, that's the outward. We, we want to make sure that every song that we sing and everything that we do lines up with God's word. That's, that's the truth part. We, we want to sing songs that, that reflect doctrine that is true, right? And we want to do things that reflect what God's word said is, says is true. But he says if you're going to worship God, you have to worship him not only in truth but in spirit. And that's in here. See, we can worship God out here all day. We can say we. We can sing the song. We, we can do the stuff. We can come and, and serve in church. But remember, God doesn't just want the stuff that you do. He wants you. He doesn't just want your stuff. He doesn't just want your money. He doesn't need your money. What he wants is you. So there's hope. Remember where we started? We started with their worship, and we said that their worship came from their adoration. 
who they love. So I wonder what it would look like if rather than loving ourselves, rather than falling deeper and deeper into love with ourselves every single day, what would it look like if we fell deeper and deeper in love with God? Our life might look a lot different. We might not snap at our spouse when we get home. We, we might not snap at our, actually we wouldn't snap at our kids when we get home. We won't use the same words that everybody else uses. We won't tell the same jokes that everybody else does because Jesus will begin to change our life through his Holy Spirit. Falling deeper and deeper in love with God. Well, how do we do that? And it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. You spend time with him. You spend time in his word. You spend time in prayer. You spend time meditating on the truths of his word. And if you do that, there, there is no way because of who God is, there's no way that you can spend time with him and walk away loving him less. So spend time with him. This week, and it doesn't have to be a lot. Open up your Bible, read one verse, and meditate on it throughout the day. And you will end that day loving God more than you did before. Because the key to ending hypocrisy, the, the key to taking off our masks, isn't quitting church. It's not quitting Christianity. The key to taking off our masks is falling deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. Let's pray. Before we pray, I'm going to have Elaine, come and play the piano. And why don't everybody just stand with me as the piano starts to play. And I want to give you all some time to respond. Because maybe you've been, you, you have a mask on, maybe today. And just get real with God. Take off the mask. If you need to come down here, great. If you need to sit in your seat, that's awesome. Do that. But however you need to spend time with God, just do 